All right, our recording is up and running. And again, if you have missed any of these classes, they are really easy to find on our website. Um, oh, hey. It's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my sermon next week might be entitled, When It Is Your Fault. <laughs> Just kind of balance things out. No. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, oh yeah, class recordings. You can find those online if you, if you go to our church website. It's uh, super easy. It's just kingscrossingcoc.com. Uh, and <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you hunt over, I'm trying to pull it up right now, coc.com slash sermons. Super easy to find. Uh, or if you go up to uh, top of the top, faith resources, and go down to sermons. This is not a sermon, right? But uh, our, all our classes are on here. And so our last three class uh, sessions are on here, too. So if you want to pull that up and find that, you can find those. So, All right. Um, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles. Turn a type to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, opening pages of the Bible. And again, let's, uh, let's keep in mind this class is uh, des- designed in mind for relatively new Christians. And so although earlier I joked by saying that you would learn everything you needed to know about the Holy Spirit, that, that was an exaggeration. <laughs> I, maybe we won't cover everything you've ever wanted to know about the Holy Spirit, but maybe we'll cover some things that you hadn't thought about before. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1 here, in addition to God, in addition to God, who else appears in the creation narrative? Will somebody read for us, please, the first two verses of Genesis? In the beginning God created heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Alright, that answers our question here. So very opening pages. Hello, sir. Good to see you back. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. Glad to have you here. Um, no, you're fine. If, uh, if you've ever wanted to know anything about the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about today. That's a good subject. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to reel in people for class. In addition to God, who else appears here in the creation narrative? The Spirit of God. Okay, just, uh, just a heads up. That is also the Holy Spirit, right? Those are, those are equal to each other. Do y'all want to learn some really cool Hebrew today? It sounds cool, okay? This is the only reason why. Hebrew sometimes kind of sounds like German. It sounds like you're clearing your throat and like coughing aggressively at people, right? Hebrew, this Hebrew sounds pretty cool. Okay, so this phrase here, Spirit of God in Hebrew, it's two words. You would say Ruach. Let's try that. Ruach. Kind of like you're clearing your throat there a little bit. Ruach. And then the word for God is Elohim. Elohim. All right, so let's put that together. Ruach Elohim. Ooh, doesn't that just, just feels good? Ooh, Mufasa. Ooh, yeah, it feels, feels really good. All right, so Ruach Elohim is the Spirit of God. Does anybody's translation read any differently? Does it say anything besides Spirit of God? Wow, they usually pull some strange stuff out of left field. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, wacky? Not kidding. No, there's a, they've usually got some great things there. Okay, this this is from the New Revised Standard Version. Henry, what version were you reading from? Uh, King James. King James. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, good standard translation there. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. This is not a weird translation. This is one you can find anywhere, and it's been around a while. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Now that reads a little differently, right? That reads a little differently. And some of you might have thought, what is this pagan translation <laughs> you've got here? That sort of reduces the separation between God and the Spirit. It, it, it definitely feels weird, right? We're, we're used to things like, okay, well, wait a second now. We've got God... And then the Spirit of God. Not here. It doesn't seem like it's there. No, the, the, the Amplified Version, it says, in the beginning, Elohim, Elohim created, and then it has in parentheses, by forming from nothing hmm. the heavens and the earth. Okay. What's, uh, um, Ridge, that, has, uh, that introduces a whole other string of related issues, but ones that we won't be able to get to today. I will mention this, though. This particular word for create, in the Old Testament, God is the only subject of that particular verb, create. Nobody else, the Hebrew verb here is bara. Let's all say that together, bara. Okay. God is the only one. Rocio, I know it's exciting. <laughs> God is the only one who in the entire Old Testament does anything along the lines of bara. So that's kind of cool. But this word ruach, let's say that again together, ruach. ruach. All right, y'all are going to go home. It's like, hey, I learned some cool Hebrew today. And they're going to tell you, whoa, don't spit on me, man. All right, ruach can mean, in Hebrew, it can mean wind. It can actually mean wind and spirit. We're going to dig into that a little bit, Ridge. Let me ask this question. Can you see wind? Can you see wind? Not really. You can see the effects of wind. Ooh, okay. All right. Yeah, especially around here, right? Why are all the trees in the parking lot leaning that way? <laughs> because, well, the wind comes from the coast, and it plows through this way, right? And I'm serious. Like, you can look over there, and the trees... They all lean that way. Yeah, you can't see wind, but you can see its effects pretty clearly, especially if it kicks up dust or something like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, can you touch wind? I can touch you, yeah. Like, can you stretch out and grab it? No, right? But you can feel it, right? Yeah, you can feel it. Henry, you like to surf, yeah? No. You don't like to surf? Fish. Fish? I thought you were a surfer. Tried it once. All right. Okay. I must have you confused for maybe Dion. Is Dion a surfer? We're similar. I mean, it's easy to confuse. Yeah. <laughs> He's got that glorious beard. Yeah. Okay. So you can't touch wind, sort of, but you can, again, you can feel it. And sometimes it can be really strong. Question. How do you define the word spirit? 
without using words like spiritual, okay? <laughs> Don't do that to me. How do you define the word spirit? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the defin- definition of the spirit. It's a Interesting. God's breath that brings life. Yeah, it's a co- there's a connection, clear connection with, with breath. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Anybody else? How would you define spirit? If I could look over there and just make the light go off by projection of myself, that would be a spirit. Something like that. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's uh, it not. Not physical in the, in the sense that we think about this kind of stuff, but th- there is a power Inside. involved, yeah? So we talked about breath. I think it would be similar to the wind. Similar to the wind. Guys, I, this is great. Yeah, this is good stuff because y'all are touching on some ancient ideas about spirit that I, most of us probably have never really thought down. Like, let me ask you, has anybody ever asked you the question, how do you define spirit before? Has anybody ever said? You have had that question before. <coughs> okay, cool. Was it like 30 seconds ago when I asked? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Another, another party graduate. <gasps> Who? Uh, Garrett? Probably Garrett, yeah. Yeah, Garrett Eskew. Garrett Eskew. Oh, okay. He's a recruiter there now, but he was our youth minister. For awesome. I would say along the lines of power, I would say energy. Energy, yeah. Very similar to what uh, Matthew was saying just a minute ago about breath. I mean, that is energy, right? Yeah, it's, you know, the vitality, something that you can... You said you feel the spirit of whatever in the area. Yeah. In, in this home or whatever you say, you feel the energy from that. You know? Very true, yeah. And when you breathe in, don't you inspire? Yeah, there's related to the word spirit there. Yeah, okay. All right, everybody take a deep breath and hold it for a little bit. If it's not going to hurt you. <gasps> Do you feel it in your chest? You feel that? It's, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I'm ready to go do something, right? Okay. Certain Hebrew and Greek words, right? So the Old Testament written in Hebrew and Aramaic, New Testament written in Greek, certain Hebrew and Greek words, and to some degree, uh, certain Latin terms. Certain of these words for wind and breath can also mean spirit in both in Hebrew and in Greek and to some degree in Latin also. So across these languages, they had some connection thousands of years ago of people who, when you talk about spirit, it's, sim- it's got obvious similarities in their mindset to, to breath and, and wind and things like that. All right, let me ask this question, uh, and we've been touching on this just for a little bit. How are breath, how is your breath and the wind similar? In what ways do you think are they maybe similar to each other? They move. They move, definitely. The movement? Can't see it, but you can feel it, yeah. It's usually not cold enough in Corpus Christi for you to see your breath, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on occasion, yeah. I mean, if you want to go to like another aspect of it, wind, right, creates energy. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Well, and especially if you like one of the most common means of fast travel in the ancient world, boat. 
Well, how do those guys, uh, besides oars, how do those guys uh, travel by boat? Hoist the sails, harness that energy, energy for movement. Yeah, exactly. A friend of mine is, uh, is a youth minister in Searcy, Arkansas, the town where uh, Harding is. And he's, uh, he's got a great little youth ministry book that I highly recommend. If you've got kids in, uh, in the youth group or something along those lines, I can recommend that book uh, to you later. But he said this. I, I asked my group of friends this question. Um, how do you define spirit? And so this is what these guys came up with. Uh, my friend Luke said, the ideas of wind and breath in the original languages, in Hebrew and Greek, indicates that these are invisible, intangible, so you can't really grab it, invisible, intangible, somewhat mysterious elements that are animating forces. Talking about wind and breath. They bring about real, tangible effects in the world. They're also indicative of life. If you see somebody on the ground and you can't grab a pulse, you can also listen for what? Heartbeat or breath. Yeah. In a practical sense, and this is my buddy Luke, in a practical sense, I would connect this to our thoughts, emotions, and attitudes themselves, immaterial, right? We can't touch our thoughts and action, our thoughts and attitudes, but which bring about tangible actions that have measurable effects in the real world. So let me read that whole thing again. The ideas of wind and breath in the original languages indicates these are invisible, intangible, somewhat mysterious elements that are animating forces. They bring about real tangible effects in the world and are indicative of life. In a practical sense, I would connect this to our thoughts, emotions, and attitudes themselves, immaterial, right, we can't touch, but which bring about tangible actions that have measurable effects on our material world. That's a really solid definition. And he, uh, he texted me that at like 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> so he was up pretty early. In the ancient Near East, so think uh, today, sort of like modern day uh, Iraq and uh, you know, Syria and Lebanon and you know, Israel and all that, that whole area. In the ancient Near East, uh, religions that were around in Bible times and in the Greek and Roman world, so think kind of around the Mediterranean, so that whole area there. Generally, the idea of spirits was that these were believed to be personal forces as opposed to impersonal. So think about something like the force from Star Wars. Or that's, that's kind of like an impersonal power or energy or something like that. You know. uh, I'll spare you my Yoda impression, but you know, start talking about the force here. Um, but in ancient Near Eastern religions and in Greek and Roman pagan religions, when they thought about spirits, they didn't think about the force. They thought about personal beings. We've mentioned some of these in previous classes. Zeus, 
Aphrodite, Athena. We can move over farther into the Middle East. Baal. The Old Testament mentions Asherah and some other pagan gods and goddesses. In Jewish and Christian thinking, there are all kinds of different spiritual beings. You might not have known this. In Hebrew and in Greek, the words that are normally translated angel mean something else. Do you know what, that, what they mean? You heard what those words mean before. Spirit? Related to spirit, but there's a, a slightly different word, both of those for spirit. Messenger. messenger. They mean messenger. Both the Hebrew word that normally gets translated angel means messenger. And the Greek word that gets translated angel sounds really familiar. In Greek, it's angelos. Well, you can hear how we get angel from angelos. Yeah, just like the Greek word for baptism is baptismos. Okay, so a lot of these Greek words, the guys who are translating into English are like, oh, we don't have a good enough word for that. We'll just borrow this Greek word and chop off the end. So, in Jewish and Christian thinking throughout history, there are all kinds of different spiritual beings. So there's messengers that we would normally call angels. There's also, and it's Old Testament especially mentions cherubim and another type called seraphim. Uh, you know that song, Holy, Holy, Holy? Cherubim and seraphim. Yeah. The seraphim probably looked like fiery serpents. That's kind of terrifying. But there's probably a good reason why you know, angels of all kinds, when they show up, the first thing they tell people is, hey, don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm not here to freak you out. We know they're clumsy because they're falling down. Right? That was good, Rich. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> uh, they had the wings, the three collections of wings, cover their faces, their hands, and their feet. The, um, but, there's, but what you're describing are other kinds of spiritual beings, like in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Revelation, there's some really terrifying ones that have eyes all over their bodies. They're, yeah. 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 And, and like kind of. And that's fair. Yeah. Trent raises a good point there. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, there's this fantastic, absolutely moving uh, scene where Isaiah is there in the throne room and the whole place is filled with smoke and, and there's a voice that, that says, you know, who, who shall we send? And uh, Isaiah's terrified because he's like, oh, rats. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm in the presence of God and I'm sinful. I'm going to die. That's all there is to it. I'm just going to die. And one of these seraphim, one of these seraphs comes and takes a, right, you know the story, takes a hot coal from the altar, puts it on his lip, and that, and that essentially kind of burns him, and it's a way of showing you, you've been cleansed. You've been cleaned from that sin. I've, I've burned that away from you. Now you are ready. But it was one of these. The Bible also mentions uh, demons, 
Also the Holy Spirit. God is also a spirit. God is also a spirit, the highest of all the different kinds of spirits that the Bible talks about. Spirit, as we have all kind of touched on, and I'm pleasantly surprised at how we all kind of picked up on these ideas, spirit in the ancient mindset has very clear connections to these ideas of life, energy, power, vitality, uh, animation, not in the sense of drawing, but something that's alive and moving and, and active. Yeah. And so this is precisely why the Holy Spirit... Okay, so now we actually get to the Holy Spirit. I need to talk a little bit about what spirits do and what spirits are before we actually get to the Holy Spirit. Because spirits in the ancient mindset have clear connections with life and energy and power, it makes perfect sense in their thinking why the Holy Spirit would show up in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 30. Let's turn or type over to there, please. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 30. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 30. Uh, would somebody read for us verses 30 through 35? So maybe stop at the end of verse 35. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, mo and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Man, there's so much. There's so much cool stuff in here. So earlier in the Gospel of Luke... The angel Gabriel, right? So not just like any, any scrub angel, okay, but like the actual angel Gabriel himself. There appears to be a hierarchy within angels. I, th I think it's the letter to Jude, or I think it's Jude, that describes Michael as an archangel. Well, that arch means something like chief or captain, you know? Like, so there appears to be ranks. Uh, the Bible talks about the heavenly hosts. That word host means basically armies, and the armies of heaven, right? Um, we have uh, veterans in the room. Okay, yeah, you, there's rank. All right, we understand how that works. So, n not just some random angel, right? A private doesn't show up to Zechariah. It is, uh, it is Gabriel. He shows up to Zechariah and says, Hey, <clears throat> your prayers have been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, will have a son. Now, what was the problem with Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth? Why could they not? They couldn't conceive, yeah. And uh, what was Zechariah's, uh, why was Zechariah surprised that they would be able to conceive? Because he was old. He was old, yeah. All right, Zechariah's a priest. And he asks the angel, how is this possible? Zechariah, dude, have you not heard about Abraham? <laughs> okay, come on. Abraham and Sarah were old, probably older than you. And so that's why the angel says, like, notice also, angels, they don't have time for your foolishness. 
They get in, they tell you what they need to tell you, and they're gone. They don't hang out. They don't chat. They've got a job to do. They're messengers. They're not your buddies. <laughs> okay. And so the angel comes up and says, well, because of your unbelief, you'll be mute uh, from now on, but this will happen. And he shows up. He's gone. And Zechariah can't talk until John is born. Notice the very different treatment with Mary. All right? The angel comes here and says, what's the first thing the angel says to her besides greeting her earlier? Don't be afraid. <laughs> okay? Don't be afraid. You found favor with God and tells her, basically, all right, here's God's plan. And then what is Mary's question? How is it possible? Why does she think that's impossible? She is a virgin. What Zechariah was asking was unlikely, but there was very clear scriptural precedent for, for doing what God had already told him he was going to do. I don't care if you're old. I'm going to make it happen. What Zechariah was told was unlikely. What Mary was told, according to her knowledge, was impossible. This does, God, help me, this doesn't make any sense. And then simply, who will create this tiny life within Mary? The Holy Spirit. There it is. I think it's, a, I, I think it's no accident that the Holy Spirit shows up here, just like the Holy Spirit showed up, page one of the Bible. They're creating life. With God's wind or breath breathing life into humans. Man, just all these cool connections. That stuff is super cool. There's also other things here that we could spend a lot of time on. Uh, Real quickly, I'll draw your attention to verse 35 here. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This word, overshadow, is precisely the word that gets used when the Spirit of God overshadows the tabernacle in the wilderness and that is a clear indication of the spirit of god is now dwelling in your midst it is no accident that that same glory that covers and fills the holy tent of god's presence is precisely the same power that covers and fills and brings god's glory into mary oh just it's super cool that's really cool okay so we got to keep going though all right Uh, And so in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit, often called the Spirit of God, like we saw earlier, the Ruach Elohim. Impress your friends and family at lunch with that. They'll they'll really like that. It's like, hey, look what I learned in Bible class. All right, also called the Spirit of God, sometimes called the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh. And throughout the Old Testament, we don't have to look at a ton of examples But we can look at just a few to see that throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, empowered people for ministry and for service. Now that takes a lot of different, uh, that looks like a lot of different things in the Old Testament. But let's look at a couple of different examples. Keely, can you pull up the book of Judges? Book of Judges. Chapter 3, verse 10. Can I have somebody else go to 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. 
Judges 3, chapter 3, verse 10. Judges 3, verse 10. You can have somebody else pull up 1 Samuel, chapter 16. And then one more, please. Can I have somebody else turn even later in the Old Testament to the book of Joel? To the book of Joel. Not to be confused with Billy Joel. The book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. So Judges 3.10, 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14, and the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Each of these scriptures mentions something about the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God, and we'll see what, what consistently is this Spirit up to. Keely, you take it away for us, please. That is okay, because there is some weird names in here. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, the judge Othniel. Not one of the more famous ones like Samson, but if you look at the stories about Samson, also in the book of Judges, you'll see this phrase occasionally, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Uh, Keely, according to the very first part of that verse, what... What did the Spirit of the Lord empower Othniel to do? Became Israel's judge. A judge in this sense is kind of like a, like a chieftain or something like that. Somebody who is, is known for their wisdom, their ability to lead, and they do different things. He judged Israel. He went out to <coughs> war. Yeah? Ridge, did you have a comment, sir? Uh, no, I was uh, a rabbi kind of person. Uh, essentially, yeah. Yeah, in, a, in the sense of a, a leader. Yeah, that's right. Somebody who can weigh in on situations. All right, who has uh, 1 Samuel 16? Great. Will you take that away for us, please? Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramoth. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Ooh, okay. Fascinating here. So we have David and Saul. Right at the twilight of Saul's reign as king. Remember, Saul is Saul starts off fairly well. He's tall, he's handsome, he's brave, he's really impressive, a great military leader. And then gradually Saul begins to forget. Oh, it was God's spirit that empowered me to serve in this ministry of ruling his people. And so he starts taking certain prerogatives that he doesn't get to take, even though he's king. He starts to do things that aren't his place to do. And then what's fascinating here is that in two verses, back to back, both these verses, God's spirit departs Saul. So Saul no longer has that special empowerment for ministry and service, and it comes upon the young boy, David. <coughs> And then the next thing is even worse. Oh, the evil spirit. From God. That, Doesn't it say somewhere else, don't, don't blame God for your troubles because 
Particularly um, phrase like that, I, I don't remember exactly. But later, this evil spirit comes up again, and that's when David needs to like play the music to kind of soothe, soothe Saul. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion. There that, well, there's a lot of interesting stuff that we could get into about that. Basically, you know how people will say, it's, like scientifically it's true, right? Nature hates a vacuum. If you've ever noticed this is true in your house, if you clean up a spot on the table, what inevitably gets put there a couple days later? More dust, junk mail, <laughs> stuff like that. Maybe kids' toys, books. Yeah, okay. Like you've, you get it. Yeah. Um, people are going to be filled with something also. People are going to be filled with something also. So, uh, and then let's take a look at... Uh, Look at Joel chapter 2. All right, what we've seen before we get to Joel chapter 2 is that uh, just in these couple of brief examples, right? the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, they are empowered for ministry and service in some way. Joel chapter 2 promises something far beyond what even these judges or these early kings did. Who has Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29? Great, thank you. Right. Yeah. When does this prophecy get fulfilled? I believe earlier in the chapter it specifies the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I am thinking, let me, uh, let me narrow in on my question. There is a, another book in the Bible where it says that this prophecy gets fulfilled. Somebody know what book of the Bible that is? I'll give you a hint. It's in the New Testament. <laughs> sure. Nailed it. Acts chapter 2. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I was going to, my next hint was going to be it starts with the letter A. <laughs> While you're turning there. I'll tell you this, this is a fun game. Sometimes that my boys like to play the alphabet game where everybody, you know, all right, name something that starts with A. And to challenge myself, I'll either try to think of like cars that start with that or names or something from the Bible. And that's always a fun one. So if you don't get anything else from class besides the Holy Spirit, the alphabet game, Help you keep in track, keep track with stuff in Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent, what? Wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. None of us call these tongues of fire anymore. It's little flames. That's what it is. It's flames of fire. Like if you're looking at a fire pit and the little flames that shoot off of the end. That's, that's what that means, tongues. Little tongues of fire <clears throat> uh, 
that separated and these little flames of fire came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's also just a fascinating connection that in Greek, the tongues of fire is the same word for tongues here in the sense of language. Right? Same word. And so it's the, the guys who wrote scripture, they love wordplay. I mean, it happens all over the place. All right. I made this uh, obvious here, but what forces of nature show up in these verses as descriptions? Wind and fire. Wind and fire. Just need earth, and we got ourselves a good band, right? Sorry. All right. All right. Wind and fire. We see God's presence connected with fire elsewhere in the Old Testament, yeah? A certain small shrub, a bush that doesn't get burned up. Why does this thing not burn up and wither and die? Something else. God's presence doesn't need anything to sustain it. It doesn't need to burn that bush. It doesn't need to consume it. God doesn't need that. See elsewhere, that's in the beginning of the Bible, Exodus. Fast forward all the way near the end, Malachi. God, uh, God is like a refiner's fire of his people. Ancient, uh, ancient ways of refining metal. You heat it up. All the impurities kind of bubble up to the top. You scrape that off. Repeat that process. And then you take this chunk of iron ore. And then now suddenly you can make really strong weapons. That process, and God is saying, You are like this chunk of raw gold ore. It will hurt. I will need to refine you. But as that process works, you will become increasingly more precious, more valuable. And that word, Kevin Mighty, that shows how powerful it was, too. Oh, absolutely. The, wind. the rushing wind, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that it wasn't just a gentle breeze. Hovering over the waters of creation, right? There in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Probably feels like a hurricane is rolling through. And if you've been in Corpus Christi long enough, or were here just last week, <laughs> there was a pretty heavy wind. Okay, all right. Paul describes empowerment for ministry in a few different ways. I'll, I'll mention this. I'll mention this. Uh, really quickly, before we get to Paul's discussion of Romans chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, we'll be there in just a second. It's no accident that, um, that Acts chapter 2, one of the very first expressions of the Holy Spirit's power is different languages. Because... For the holiday that is happening in Jerusalem at that time, people from all over the place have come to Jerusalem. People speaking all the different languages that these guys are able to speak. It's God's Spirit consistently empowers people for ministry in the ways that they need to be able to do that ministry. So, there's no accident. That it happens that way. And a lot of people ask questions about, well, what about that stuff today? Those are great questions that we're not going to get to today. <laughs> because this isn't, 
this class isn't for all that kind of great discussion. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, for the sake of the recording, I will, uh, I'll read, uh, just so we hear that loud and clear. Romans chapter 8, let's start in verse 5. Paul has a really solid discussion here of the Holy Spirit. Pay close attention to when Paul starts talking about the mind of the Spirit and how Paul compares and contrasts life in what he calls the flesh versus life in what he calls the Spirit. All right, so pay, t- pay attention and see kind of how that contrast plays out here. Romans chapter 8, start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, again, he's talking to the audience there, an audience of believers. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For Paul, I think Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ are interchangeable. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He says sons, particularly here, because of what he's about to say. In the very next verse. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, so Abba is like a a, a really intimate way of saying dad or daddy or something along those lines. The reason why he mentions sons and adoption here is because in this day and time, women daughters did not inherit from their parents' estate. Daughters received their share of their parents' estate when the daughter was married. And so like if you had three, if you had two sons and a daughter and the parents divided up their things amongst here, at the parents' death, the sons would get the things, but at the daughter's marriage, she would get her things and would take all those clothes and servants or whatever else and take those and join her husband's household. 
And so adoption as sons comes with the idea of inheritance. And so we, that's why they constantly talk about sons. Now today, daughters and sons can inherit, but that's why he uses the word sons here. It's not a diss on daughters. It's sort of cultural expectations. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, meaning you inherit, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, according to these verses, especially the first ones I read, verses 5 and following, according to these verses, what does the Holy Spirit do in the believer? Exactly. Connect them to God. Separate them from sin. Take a look at verse 6 here. Verse 6. There's this contrast. Remember, when you set two things up to show how they're different, called juxtaposition, there's a juxtaposition here with the flesh, which is not just your body. Paul uses flesh and spirit as two opposing ways to talk about the kind of life you experience. This, when he talks about the mind of the Spirit or the life of the Spirit or something along those lines, what he means is that part of you that God's Spirit is working on to make holy, to sanctify, to redeem, to create better. Yes? Sinful nature. And if anybody has a new international version, it might say sinful nature also. That is, that's a pretty good way of describing what Paul means here. So in Greek, he uses the term that is translated flesh. But the idea is that part of you that hasn't quite yet been redeemed. That hasn't quite yet been sanctified. Paul isn't saying your bodies are bad. All right? Paul isn't saying your bodies are bad. Your bodies are actually a gift. But our bodies, like I mentioned earlier in my sermon, even our bodies down to the DNA level can be affected by sin. And so at that level of thoughts and actions, those intangible things that have real tangible effects, those can be affected by sin, but they can also be redeemed and renewed because of the work of the Holy Spirit actually getting in your life and renewing you and doing all that. I'll mention this lastly. The work of the Holy Spirit. One way, if you want to know, right, is the Holy Spirit working in me? The New Testament connects baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. We were just in Acts chapter 2 earlier. Have you been baptized? And do you see what Paul calls elsewhere the fruit of the Holy Spirit? That means the products of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, all right, then you should find yourself growing in love, in joy, in peace. And it's not just like a tranquility. Like you're actually actively creating peace, peacefulness around you. Patience. Lord, give me patience. 
give it to me right now? <laughs> How many times have you prayed that prayer? Kindness, goodness, love, faithfulness, longs. Oh, that's a, nobody likes that word because they've got that suffering there. Uh, thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. But if those products of the Holy Spirit are growing in you, that's a clear indication. God's work is happening. His Holy Spirit is growing. And that, again, for a class, for, a class designed for young and new Christians, that's the thing to worry about. Am I growing in, that product, in those products of the Holy Spirit? Yes, ma'am. Carnally minded. That's a really graphic way of putting it, but I. It does, yeah. Living in the flesh, yeah. Yeah, and so that that Holy Spirit generated life. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate y'all pitching in today. We are dismissed. Thank you, sir. Dowry is the word. Dowry is, yeah, that's right. Thank you, thank you.